Go to uh, Revelation chapter 13, and we also are going to look at Daniel chapter 7. Revelation 13 and Daniel chapter 7. Now, we, in, <laughs> I made the grave error of asking my wife what she thought of the last lesson in Daniel, and I asked her that because I was, I was slightly, <laughs> I knew what she was going to say. And because I felt it myself. Uh, Going through Daniel, and particularly, uh, I'm sorry, going through Revelation, and particularly chapter 13, um, it it is a very difficult chapter to understand. And I am not going to pretend that I understand all of it, but I will tell you this. uh, I have thought about just postponing our study in Revelation until some golden daybreak. Uh, And 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 we've taken some time off and some breaks, and I think those are good. Uh, But I'm going to continue to plow forward. The Lord is helping me little by little. And uh, and you can help me as well as you're seeing things. Um, Here's the reason. I don't know. I'm sure you know this already. I had nothing to do with the writing of this book. No one consulted me, uh, and I was not, I did not had to get a chance to revise it. This is God's book. And by the way, your favorite Bible teacher, unless it's the Apostle Paul, uh, had nothing to do with the writing of this book. And what that means is it's accessible to all of God's children. It was written and given to his children. God wants, in fact, he wants the whole world to know it, but it effectually worketh in them that believe. And so you and I have a privilege. I want to hear from you. If you're following along, I had a great conversation with Brother Norman last week. Uh, I was talking with somebody else this week. Um, If you're reading and following along, once you get into it and you start actually trying to figure it out, that's when it gets tough. And, but, but I'm telling you, there's, there's a lot of breadcrumbs that the Lord gives us, and you can help me as you're looking at that. Because the point of it is this, I, I'm not intimidated by that at all. I, I don't care. I want to know what the truth is. And uh, I may have great theories and hypotheses about how it all works together, but I might miss something, and that one little thing that I missed actually completely derails the theory. And, and then when I find out, oh, that's, oh, that's not, oh, that's this. I'll give you an example. The Bible never says the Antichrist. That'll ruin a lot of your theories. In fact, the word Antichrist is only found in First and Second John, never in the rest of the Bible. It's found five times. Never found in the book of Revelation itself. Now, that will really mess you up. Here's the thought. There's not one Antichrist. There's multiple Antichrists. Now, there's different roles. And we see here in Revelation 13, there's a major role that's filled by the beast. But just that concept, as you get into Scripture, why? What happens? Well, Hal Lindsey wrote a great book, um, but it was also full of (laughs) some difficult problems. Uh, He did not write the Bible. He wrote a book about the Bible. And it helped a lot of people. But the danger is we come to the Bible with these preconceived ideas, right? We've talked a lot about this. And what I decided I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to, I'm going to do what the special forces say. Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. We're going to slow it way down. 
And I'm not going to pretend uh, like you know anything. Some of you, you'll probably be yawning and rolling your eyes. But I'm not worried about that because we've got to slow it down. Otherwise, we'll never be able to get the important information, okay? So we're going to look at Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. Are you ready? Okay, we're going to talk about the four beasts. But first, let's start in Revelation 13. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Okay, now what we see here is going to take us back to Daniel 7. Let's go to Daniel 7, and we'll see where Daniel had a vision of four beasts which match, which matches, this vision matches the beast in Revelation 13. Now, how many beasts are there in Revelation 13, 1? Revelation 13, 1, how many beasts come out of the sea? One beast. Okay, very simple. You're not going to get in trouble tonight. Okay, but Daniel 7 is something Similar but different. Let's watch it. Daniel chapter 7. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Not sugar plums and, you know, fairies and stuff like that. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Here's what he wrote. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night. He had night vision. And behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. Now, the great sea in the Bible is the Mediterranean Sea. Most often, when it's talking about the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. Um, Okay, so he has this vision. Four winds are striving. Verse number three. But before before we do this, I I, want to say, well, let's look at verse three. Four great beasts came up from the sea. Diverse one from another. Okay, now, before we move on, you've got to understand Roman numeral 2 on your outline that Daniel's four beasts are four kings which represent four kingdoms. And they're kings first, and then they are kingdoms. And I'll prove that. Look at verse 17. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. Now these arise out of the earth. Look at verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. And we'll look at that in a little while. But notice the scripture says kings first and then kingdoms. So yes, Kings represent kingdoms. In a sense, kingdoms represent kings, but it's important to understand that it's talking about a person, an individual, and that will come into play when we get to Revelation 13. All right, so although a a beast also represents a kingdom, a beast is never a kingdom only. So in other words, you read the beast. He's not talking about a kingdom. He's talking about an individual that always represents, uh, that also represents a kingdom, but he's always a king first, always a king before it is a kingdom. Does that make sense? Okay, the reason is 
When you get to a place like Revelation 13, some people, some Bible teachers will try to make Revelation 13 a kingdom. So this beast is actually a country or a system. And when you do that, you throw away your ability to interpret the passage correctly. Because now it's a country that's doing these things, whereas in Scripture, it's actually a person doing these things. Does that make sense? Okay, it doesn't make sense. I tried to slow it down. I tried to slow it down. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, good. Interaction is always a blessing, and it always causes me to, to finish faster. I don't know what it is. That's the, I'm just kidding. I'll never finish faster. Number three. Roman numeral three. Now we see these beasts come up from the sea. Verse three in Daniel seven, the four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. Now let's look at these beasts. Beast number one is Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the lion with eagle's wings. Verse four, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked And it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. He's a lion that's a man, and he has the heart of a man. Now, before we, the intellectual world, is going to laugh at at Daniel's vision of these beasts. But notice I put then what's quote-unquote a mythical beast, and then notice the non-mythical beast. That's what evolutionists believe. The fish walked out of the sea. Just keep that in mind, okay? In case, and isn't it interesting how, as humans, we all think, oh, that's crazy, that's weird, until we learn about it. And you learn about what scientists say, that's what they say. How many, how many have heard that before? You know that, right? The fish had to, they had to develop some type of legs so that they could walk. And then they became, you know, uh, amphibious and then reptiles and so forth and so on. But just keep in mind, it, maybe it's not as crazy as, as people think. And this is, of course, in the spirit realm. He's having this vision. So in Nebuchadnezzar's image, we have uh, Babylon as the gold. And it is the noblest metal. Here, we have a lion with wings. And a lion is the strongest among beasts, according to Proverbs 30, verse 30. The lion and the eagle are both heads of their realm. So we're starting at the top here, the first piece. And if, the, if Babylon is the head of metals, then Babylon is also the head of beasts. We call the lion what of beasts? The king of beasts, right? And so he is. Nebuchadnezzar's a king. And, but I want you to see, there was a time when, when the, the beast heart that Nebuchadnezzar had came outside into the physical, into the external, and he became a beast with these claws and with feathers. Remember that? And, 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 and a bunch of time passed, and he was out there eating grass like an ox. And we won't take the time to go into how that combination of things is connected elsewhere, but certainly this, this lion with wings is representing Nebuchadnezzar. Now look at chapter 4, if you would. Look back at chapter 4 of Daniel and see what God did for him. Daniel chapter 4. Look at verse number... Um, 
Well, we were talking about that just a minute ago, but look at verse number 16. It says, let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him. And that's exactly what happens. His heart changes first and then his actions change and his visage changes. I think Rex was telling me about uh, the guy who paid 12,000, what was it? 12, to look like a dog. He paid $12,000 to... to uh, change his body to look more like a dog. And where does that come from? It comes from the heart. So the heart is already corrupted and degenerated, and so then it begins to work its way externally. And we'll see a whole lot more uh, of that kind of stuff as we go along. So verse 32 tells us that seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And then watch, after he humbles himself, verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and my understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him that liveth forever. And then it says, verse number uh, 36, at the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me. I heard a lot, I don't know what it was when I was a kid, I don't know who, what you were like. I used to hear this phrase, stop acting like an animal. You ever hear that phrase when you were a kid? You're acting like a bunch of dogs, cats and dogs, right? Why? We all become animalistic when we're not humble. And we lose our reason. We lift ourselves up. And I know it sounds crazy. I would never grow feathers. I would never. Yeah. But isn't it? We talk about people being as proud as a peacock. And uh, we, we give anthropomorphisms to humans. We say, well, they have, uh, they, they, they quack, you know, they, they're kind of like, um, uh, well, people say I'm bald as an eagle, but that's, 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 you know, that's neither here nor there. But, but you know, I'm, I'm, as, I'm a hungry as a wolf, right? I'm, I'm, I need to go and, and, uh, into the cave. And what does, a, what does a bear do? He goes in and he hibernates. You know, we talk about, we, we adopt those things. And the truth of the matter is, we were made on the same day. Man was made on the same day as the animal. And so there is a connection there. And uh, that's why people project all kinds of emotions and feelings and hopes and aspirations and dreams on their dog that it doesn't have, but they have for it. And they can reflect it. Why? We're We're related. I mean, evolution has that right. We are related, but we were made separate and, and we were made over. The animals were made lower. Man is supposed to have dominion over the animals and, and we're supposed to, to use our brain. And when you find yourself thinking that your best friend is your dog or your cat, there's something wrong with your reason. I'm not trying to be harsh. I can understand how that happens. But can I tell you what happened? What the reason it happens is because you take the energy and emotion that you have for people and you give it to your animal. And what, that's, what that does is you'll find the animal reflects back to you certain things. And animals rarely say, I don't care, I'm getting sick and tired of you. Now people will say that. People will hurt you. Animals don't hurt you. They may frustrate you. 
But they're not, they're not intentionally, I would say most animals are not intentionally trying to ruin your life. Sometimes humans do. And they don't care. And they are mean to you. We've got to be careful that we don't invest more emotional energy into animals than we do into people. Amen? Hey, uh, and if you don't have a pet, you're like, I hate animals. Well, okay, fine. You probably hate people too. All right? So it's not about hating animals. It's about understanding the hierarchy. Uh, Man was made a little lower than the angels. Uh, We can't fly. We can't uh, go between the spirit realm and and, and the physical realm. We don't have those capabilities. Animals also don't have the capabilities that we do. And we have to make sure we understand God's got us in where he wants us to be. And I only say that to Americans because we're the ones that have superstores for pets. Used to be Toys R Us. You know, big stores for our kids. Of course, now, you know, Amazon. But Pets R Us is still doing pretty good. And people have, you know, they're knitting everything for their dogs. And, you know, man alive. And we have a dog too. Don't you worry about that. She tells us what we can do, what we can't do. Amen. And I look at her and I say, you're not the boss of me. And she stares back holes through, you know, my skin. She looks directly into my soul. She says, I am the boss of you. (laughs) I told told my wife, though, I said, man, if that dog becomes the, if it starts dictating our schedule, we're going to go ahead and need to let go of the dog. Amen. Amen. Are we, are we? This is not in the notes. I don't think. No, but isn't that stupid? How your life is dictated by this dog. Now, the Bible says a, man, a merciful man doeth, uh, is kind to his beast. And I know that. You've got to be taken. But, you know, you've got to remember that that beast was used to make money or to help, uh, to help his family in some way to survive and to live. And, uh, you know, our pets are luxuries. They're an extension. And, and by the way, you keep being quiet like that, I'm going to keep preaching on it, okay? Because I can feel you going, I don't know, because... Okay. <laughs> it just gets me going, I'm telling you. Your dog is like the beast of Revelation. Okay. All right. All right, let's go to... <laughs> All right, are we up to letter B? Uh, beast number two, back in Daniel chapter seven, back in Daniel chapter seven. Um, now the Bible tells us, I want you to, I want you to, I'm going to prove this to you in just a second, but let's look at seven, five, and, and then we're going to look at five, 28, seven, five, behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear. And it raised up itself on one side and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, arise, devour much flesh. So uh, we're not going to talk about a bunch about these beasts. But I just want you to see that there are four beasts that Daniel sees. This beast, go to Daniel 5.28. 5.28. He's talking here to the last king of Babylon. And this is what he says. Perez, thy kingdom... Babylon is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So the second beast is Cyrus and Artaxerxes of Medo-Persia, the bear with three ribs in his mouth. 
We know that because the, ba- the, the king of Babylon, the head of the, of the image, he's the eagle, uh, the lion with eagle's wings. And, the, and scripture tells us through the handwriting on the wall that you are going to lose your kingdom to Medo-Persia. And they did. Medo-Persia, two kings, Cyrus and Artaxerxes. And, and they were, you know, had, they had parity and authority. They, they kind of ruled together. And so what happens then is it moves on to the next one. Let's look at Daniel chapter 7 and look at verse number 6. So he sees first the lion, second a bear, third a leopard. After this I beheld and lo, another like a leopard. Notice this is the third time he said like. Like to a bear, like to a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. Now, this is kind of crazy. There's four wings. The, uh, the weird jaguar whatever from Mexico that they put in front of the United Nations building, it had two wings, if I remember right. Did anybody see that? Uh, it supposedly, you know, guards the peace or whatever, but it's just crazy when you look at this thing that looks like a leopard with wings on it, right out of Revelation, uh, uh, right out of Daniel chapter 7. If You can look it up sometime, um, which I'm sorry, I probably just lost you for another 15 minutes now. You're looking on your phone. But, but maybe, you know, you can look at it later. The leopard here is Alexander of Grecia, the king of Grecia. This is just the one vision. He also shows up as, a, as the rough goat. But in this vision, he is the leopard with four wings and four heads. So that's number three. Now, beast number four, verse number seven. Beast number four. This is the nondescript beast with ten horns. The nondescript beast with ten horns. After this, I saw the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible. Notice he doesn't say anything about it being like something because he can't even describe it. Fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. It had great iron teeth that devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. He didn't even know what to say about this beast. Now, I, I want you to understand that. Did you see how in the vision, beast one, Beast 2, beast 3, beast 4. Do you see how it's also chronological? It's it's going down through time. Where it was Babylon, then Medo-Persia, and then then Greece, and then the fourth beast. So he doesn't know what the fourth beast is. And there's more in Daniel that talks about the fourth beast. But that's where we come in in Revelation 13. We come in because there are similar, uh, Revelation 13 comes in because there are a lot of similarities between Daniel 7, the fourth beast, and Revelation 13. It shows up again. Now we see this beast and we start to see, okay, that's the fourth beast of Daniel 7. Does that make sense? Okay, here we go. Thank you for that. Amen. I told, I told the Lord, I'm going to slow down. Revelation 13. Let's go to Revelation 13. So there are similarities, Roman numeral 4, between Daniel's four beasts and the beast in Revelation 13. Now, there's not four beasts in Revelation 13. There's only one. But watch here what happens. Verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. This is not the same beast 
that Daniel saw with the, uh, the four heads. That was the leopard. This thing has seven heads and ten horns. So there's a connection there. Upon his horns, ten crowns, and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. But notice, this, verse number seven, I'm sorry, verse number one, there's several things we're going to see here, but this, the, he stood upon the sand of the sea, saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Now, what does this thing look like? Verse 2, and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Notice the words, like and as. Whenever you're studying your Bible, like and as. You have to be careful. Sometimes it does mean it's the same thing. Or it's describing something. But most of the time, almost all the time, as and like. As and like are saying. It's like this, but it's not this. Okay? So you have to keep that in mind. It's as this, but it's not this. So when, when John is seeing this, he says, in my description, now I will, t- I will sell, tell you this, it bothers me, when, when teachers say, uh, he's describing it as a first century man might describe it. I understand that. I agree that he was a first century man and that he was writing that. But I also would say this, he saw, saw a whole lot more than the average first century man. Okay? And the Holy Spirit is responsible for what went into this Bible. So be careful with the historical grammatical approach to Scripture that says, well, let's go back and study what mankind would have known at that time. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost can tell a man something, and he can write it, and he doesn't even understand what he's writing. You have to be real careful that we don't filter the Word of God simply through the mind of man. The miracle is that God used man at all to do it. And he used man's personality, and you can see that in the writing style. But we are, the, the, the understanding of the text is not limited to what the average first century man might have thought back then. Just, that's a side note, a little get, kind of gets me irritated when people say that. Uh, which is where, you, come, you know, he saw the eagle, and, you know, he didn't know what it was. He didn't know what airplanes were, and it looked like eagles to him. Well, I would say he knew what eagles were, and he knew they didn't fly like this through the air. That's what airplanes do. What do, they, what do eagles do? They, fly, they flap their wings. And I think he can tell the difference, right? So that's a side note. Okay. The four be- look, at, look at the similarities now between Daniel's four beasts and the beast. In, in the four beasts in Daniel's vision came up from the sea. First, the one beast here in Revelation, out of the sea. Daniel saw the first was like a lion, the second like a bear, and another like a leopard. This one beast... As the mouth of a lion, as the feet of a bear, like unto a leopard. Now, you notice that these, the, I, I put them kind of together, but in Daniel, it was, the, the order was lion, bear, leopard. But here, it's leopard, bear, lion. And you could explain that if you wanted to just by saying that Daniel saw it, um, you know, going forward, lion, bear, leopard. John is looking back, and he saw. I mean, if that's what you want to say, you could do that. But either way, the the qualities here, it's not the same beasts, but there are similarities. Because they're coming out of the other. They're borrowing, like all cultures do, all countries do. When they take over a country, they retain some of the culture. And so they say that Rome, I mean, what was Rome good at? 
They were not good at art. They were not good at music. You ever heard any Roman music? You ever heard of Greek music? There's lots of Greek music. Rome was just not very good at, at art and things like that. What they were very good at was building things and, and killing people. They, they built aqueducts, tons of them over there in Europe today, and, and, and ruins everywhere. But they, they, they were not as artistic. But what they did was they assimilated Greek culture, and then they put their own stamp of, you know, their own idiosyncrasies into it, their own style. And so they, th- that's what we see. This beast here in Revelation 13 has some of all of these different um, characteristics of these countries, these cultures. And we have characteristics that have come all the way through. We talk about Western culture and how uh, Western culture, speaking of that between the difference of, uh, of the Middle East to the West, you know, Europe and then uh, America. And, and we talk about how we are from Western culture. Well, really, Western culture, largely a lot of it comes from Greece and Rome. That's where a lot of a lot of the uh, revival, the Renaissance period, was a, a revisiting of all those Greek texts. And just like they translated the Bible from Greek texts, they found, oh, look at all these texts. They did all kinds of stuff like that in uh, you know Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey and things like that. That was all being done in secular time as well. Going back to study what the Greeks believed about art and music and a lot of our you know Bach and the great composers Mozart. And so forth. That all was built on um, these guys coming out of the Middle Ages, rediscovering the the concepts and the understanding of music and of art that the Greeks had. And the Greeks got it from the Babylonians. And, you know, you talk about the hanging gardens there in uh, in Babylon and how amazing their architecture was and their music and so forth. A lot of that was destroyed, but some of it still exists. Uh, Amazing things that were happening. And the Babylonians, where did they get it from? Well, they got it from Egypt. And it just keeps going back further and further and further. So mankind basically just borrows. And they say good artists borrow, great artists steal. That's what they say. Now, you shouldn't steal. But, I mean, listen, you you hear a a piece of music. How many of you have said, man, that song sounds similar to another song? If you grew up in music like like I do, if I'm not careful, I'll sing the wrong words to a different song. Just because they all start to sound the same. They have similar roots. Those of you that are involved with, you you know, building a house, you forget what house you built because they all start to run together. There's so many similarities when you break things down. But that's what he's seeing here. The fourth beast is like, uh, the, the four beasts are like this one beast together. Now notice what he says. In Daniel 7, the fourth beast is dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And in Revelation 13, the amalgamation or the hybrid of all of these different things, this hybrid beast is called the dragon. So what's not revealed in Daniel 7 is revealed in Revelation 13. The fourth beast was like a dragon. Now we understand that in, here's the crazy thing. In Daniel, we know that that fourth beast is Rome because that's what followed Greece. But what happens is, down somewhere in our lifetime, soon, there's going to be a revival of that same kingdom. Now, what is it? 
Well, we could say, well, it's America. America certainly is a world power. But do you ever notice that what, what, who took place as a world power after Greece? After Rome, rather. Nobody did. Because what happened did, it happens is that Rome, as a, as a government, as a political power, actually morphed into political and spiritual power. So now we have two different powers. And in, and in Rome, uh, you have a spiritual power right now. It's a spiritual power that's not necessarily a governmental power. It doesn't want to be seen as that. It wants to hide. And so we have that. And we'll go into that as we go forward. But I just want you to see how this, these four beasts actually are represented in this one beast. Now let's talk about the characteristics of a leopard, Roman numeral five. Because the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. Well, number one, the leopard is full of spots. And spots are, the type of, uh, are a type of sin. Jeremiah 13. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? So this leopard is full of spots. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 19. First Peter 1 Peter 1.19, but with the he said, You're not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. First Peter 1.19. The lamb, his antagonist, is without blemish and without spot. This is that that beast that rises up like a leopard. No spot in Jesus Christ. In Jeremiah. He says, wherefore, verse uh, five, 5 or 6, wherefore a lion out of the forest shall slay them, and a wolf of the evening shall spoil them. A leopard shall watch over their cities. And then in Hosea 13, 10, uh, verse 7, therefore I will be unto them as a lion, as a leopard by the way will I observe them. That's kind of scary, isn't it? The leopard is watching you. He's, he's sitting by the side, observing what's going on. And one more verse along those lines, Habakkuk 1.8. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolf. So what we have here is uh, the leopard is a cunning, cruel, watchful, and swift animal used by God for vengeance. God used the leopard for vengeance. Now, we know here in the States, we don't have the leopard. What's, it, what's something similar that we have? What is it? We have a lynx. We have, we call them wildcats or bobcats. Similar, smaller than a leopard, but they're in the same cat family. What's another one? Puma? Cougar? Yeah. See, even, what did I say about giving characteristics of animals to people? <laughs> Am I right? Um, so, so what we have here is this beast, he's like a leopard. Now, he, he was not a lion with, you know, the claws of a leopard. He's a leopard with other parts that are like other animals, okay? 
But he, the whole thing is basically a leopard. So that helps us to understand a little bit about what this, this beast is. Now, what is a beast? It's always a king. A beast is always a king, and that, that king represents a kingdom. Okay, so when you see a beast, that's what he's referring to. Referring to a king, according to Daniel chapter 7. We saw those, I put those verses in there so you can follow. Now, here's what I'm doing. I'm really slowing it down, because if you're like me, sometimes this is me. I mean, that's really important. I need to study that out sometime. Which means I'm never going to think about that again. So that's why I'm slowing it down so that you can think about it now. And then someday you'll go, oh, that's what that is. Okay. Um, let's finish up with this. I'm going to read, a, uh, I'll give you this. I think you have one more blank there and I'll, I'll read you this thing from Clarence Larkin. Great as they are, this is from Brother uh, George Antonio, it's a great statement. Great as they are, those kingdoms or kings are ultimately beastly in spirit. What the Gentile king sees as human greatness and riches, the metals in the image, the Jewish prophet sees as beastly degeneration. Okay, so here's what Larkin said. In this vision of the four beasts, we see degeneration, just as we saw it in the metals of the Colossus. The image. The descent is from the lion, the king of beasts, to a nondescript monster that defies description. The reason why these four kingdoms, and by the way, it's something that he saw in the physical realm, all the way down to a dragon, which he never saw in the spiritual realm, which is something to keep in mind how God is going to be opening and pulling back the curtain to the spiritual realm in the last days. The descent is from the lion, the king of beasts, to a nondescript monster. The reason why these four kingdoms are represented first as a golden-headed metallic image and then as a succession of wild beasts is to show the difference between man's view and God's view of the world kingdoms. Man sees in them the concentration of wealth, majesty, and power. God sees them as a succession of rapacious wild beasts devouring one another. Now, I don't, know, I don't know if we have any Royals fans here, not the Kansas City, but actual Royals from the UK. I don't know if you look up to them. I don't know if you're like, I just love that stuff, and it's so cool, and blah, blah, blah. There's something that's really interesting and, and very majestic about kings. You know what God sees them as? Self-serving. He sees them as, as wild beasts. Now, we understand none of those kingdoms really stood much on the word of God, and places like England certainly have. But I think we have to keep in mind that sometimes, I want you to, I want you to close up here looking at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Solomon said in his great book of depression, if you want to call it that, the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, I, I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast for all his vanity. You know what happens? The further we get away from God, the more we become like that skunk that's been sitting there at the exit, the on-ramp in Perrysburg for days and days and days and days and days. 
We're all going to be just as dead as that skunk someday. And yet somehow we think that while we live on this earth, we need to go after the things that the world always goes after, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life. And the truth is, we, 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 we are not beasts. We're not. There's some similarities there when we choose to go that direction. But we are not beasts. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Who is he going to reserve under the day of judgment to be punished? Those that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. And despise government. Presumptuous are they. Self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Why? Because they're not working. Spots they are and blemishes, just like this beast, the leopard, full of spots, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Hello! What is he talking about? He's talking about our culture. What are we caught up with? Sports and eating and entertainment. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. You ever hear, I can't stop myself. I can't help myself. You're a dog. You're acting like a beast. And you know what? They were made, natural brute beasts that are made to be taken and destroyed. The only thing you can do with a rabid dog is put it down. Right? He says in verse number 15, having eyes full of adultery, cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. They can't tell the truth. They lie. And heart they have exercised with covetous practices. You know what they are going to do? They don't exercise a whole lot physically, or they don't really have an exercise of reading their Bible or prayer. But what they do exercise is checking their Amazon wish list or checking uh, what other people have bought and what they look like and what they do. They're going to do that and exercise themselves with covetousness every day. That's, that's the exercise that they get in. And he said, they're cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. You know what? He was such a beast that God had to use a beast to talk to him. And aren't you glad that when you get down to the very bottom and you're, you're just nothing but the scum of the earth, even there, God will speak to you. And he'll bring someone along and he'll have a word in due season for you. It's amazing. God is amazing what he does for us. But you know, the only reason why he has to use that dumb ass is because you're acting like a donkey. You're acting like a beast. You're watching something on television or something on YouTube and this guy's totally whacked out and you're going through the garbage trying to find something. Why? Because you want to look like him and you want to act like him and you want to have his lifestyle. That's why you're going through the garbage of his ministry. 
And God will give you something here or there. But ask yourself, do these characteristics, by the way, these are the false prophets here. What kind of characteristics do the people that you love and want to be like have? Are they caught up among themselves? Hey, listen, we all have a body. We all could be infatuated with our body. We all have a brain. We all could be infatuated with our brain. We all have appetites. We all could be infatuated with our appetites. But God wants us to be not brute beasts. He wants us to be his children. He said, we are the children of God. Walk as children of light. You don't have to walk in darkness. You can walk in the light. He says, the devil tells you that all the kingdoms of this world, I can give them to you. And he's right. They belong to him. He said, all these things will I give thee. He's called the prince of this world. But you know what Jesus did? Jesus refused the glory of Satan, of getting what he wanted right now. Just like Moses, in the moment, he said, I'm going to turn my back on the, on the, uh, the, the, the home that I was raised in. He said, I'm not going to just take the the goods of Egypt, the riches of Egypt, and have them for a season. I'm going to turn that down, and I'm going to say, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to leave behind the richest nation in the world, and I'm going to walk into the desert following your voice. And if you do that, God will provide miraculously for you. He'll give you manna every day. He will take care of your needs. He will bring people along to help you. Look at the miracles that God did, even for whining, grumpy Israelites. If you'll just set your sails and say, God, help me to walk the way I should walk. Help me to turn my back on all the nonsense of social media and the people who are offering me this deep-fried lifestyle that's going to bring me greater joy. And I know it's not. I've tried it. It's not deep, but I know, but I keep going back like a dog to its vomit. Lord, help me not to be a brute beast. Help me to remember that I'm made just a little lower than the angels, that I'm, a, I'm an heir of God, and I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. When God the Father reads his will, I'm in it. You, cannot, you can get above the beasts that we find here. We get a, in Revelation 13, it's a nasty place. This world is being run by beasts. And that's, you know what that is? The absence of God. God steps back and says, you can have it. What would would your home be like if it weren't for this book? What would your marriage be like if it weren't for the principles? You You find yourself snapping at one another. You find yourself irritated with your kids or your parents. You know what the problem is? You've asked God to wait outside while you run your life. You bring God into your life, and he's going to exalt you. He's going to lift you up above the humdrum, I hate my job, I can't wait for the weekend, that every other lost person acts like in in your place of business. He can lift you up above that. You're not better. He's better. And he lifts you up, and he, he allows us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm not worthy to be there. Without our dogs, but somehow, like Mephibosheth, I'm just a dead dog, but I get to sit at the king's table. And he hides all of my infirmities. He allows me. But you know, listen, if you want to stay down there in Lodabar 
and hang out with all those people and talk about how horrible everything is and how you never get a break and how nobody cares for you and nobody remembers you, you can. But if you'll listen to the voice of the king as he says, come up and eat with me. Come and live at my house. You can have a life of joy. You can have it. The beast, he's a, he's a wicked character, but I'm happy to tell you, it's just halfway through the book of Revelation. When you get to the end, everything's where God wants it to be. So you just got to trust the Lord. As you go through some weird, crazy times, just trust the Lord and let him bring you out into the place that he wants you. Walk by faith.